Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. If you think back in time to, say, before February of 2020, how has your understanding of loneliness changed? It's the one question that's been asked of all the experts we've interviewed over the last two seasons. It could be related to nostalgia or artificial intelligence or hermit crabs. Whatever the topic, whatever the expertise, it always led us to a fill-in-the-blank question, a formula. What are some of the insights learned about X that changes your understanding of loneliness? Sometimes we inverted the formula. How did the way you thought about loneliness lead you to insights about X? And then the follow-up to that question and formula. How does knowing X connect us to each other? The X was the variable. It could be sleep or forgetting, comic books or telescopes, rare birds, or made-up words. Some of these insights brought unexpected threads together in ways we didn't realize. 
Other lessons were learned through expanding our understanding of the human condition and looking at real people and even robots in a different way. It wasn't just people we took lessons from in loneliness. There were things we learned this past season from animals, and some of the insights that were most surprising came from neither humans nor animals, but from inanimate objects. In this final episode, we look at some of the biggest, most unexpected, and surprising lessons from loneliness. mentioned this contradictory feeling. The happiest, loneliest time I've ever experienced was as a 14-year-old boy looking at my uncle's Playboy centerfolds, he said. It sparked the idea. What are some lonely things or inventions that may make us feel lonely, but also can connect us to each other? The Playboy centerfold created by Hugh Hefner promised a lifestyle for the curious and the lonely reader. It gave a glimpse of a future that was possible, yet ultimately out of reach, for many of the young men who reached for the magazine, expecting it would be the answer to their loneliness. Inventions and innovations are made to solve a problem. In the case of TV dinners, a problem was unused turkey from Swanson's, which needed to be frozen somehow and repackaged. But somehow, these inventions become associated with being alone, or recognizing how alone we are, like the telescope. When Galileo pointed it up to the sky and discovered the stars and other planets, we realized we weren't the center of the universe. There were also some designs that we thought were particularly telling of the lonely times we were in. The ostrich pillow is meant to isolate you from others in busy places, like airports and workplaces, when you need to put something over your head in order to sleep or to focus or to block out the intrusion of others. And sometimes we make objects become our companions when we have nothing else. We told the story of William Broyles, the writer of the movie Castaway. In preparation for the Tom Hanks film, he stranded himself on an island. Like the character, Broyles, the writer, had to figure out how to survive on his own, to look for a water source, how to start a fire, or end up, as he had to, eating raw stingrays. And in that time, when he was by himself, an item washed up on shore. It was a volleyball. Broyles decorated it, nursed it, and that object became a character in the movie. Although Tom Hanks' character, Chuck Noland, was alone, he could figure out how to survive on his own on an island, and he was able to find for himself an unusual companion, a volleyball named Wilson. In the movie Forrest Gump, another object also became an unusual companion, a park bench. Park benches give anyone a place to be a part of their community, but also to hang back, to observe, and wait for a little while, until someone else sits down. One of the most unexpected surprises from an interview this past season was from Dr. Dixon Chimbanda, who founded a program for lay counselors who sat on friendship benches in Zimbabwe. 
these lay counselors were grandmothers, and their job was to listen and share advice. In a country with only a dozen or so psychiatrists and psychologists serving a population of 15 million people, the friendship benches employed grandmothers to sit and counsel. While these grandmothers were there to help people suffering from loneliness and depression, they actually were given something in return. Sitting on a bench to listen actually improved their health, from diabetes to hypertension. Health outcomes for these grandmothers were better than for women in similar age groups who didn't volunteer. And Dr. Chimbanda says upcoming research will show that those better health benefits extended during the pandemic. Grandmothers who were friendship bench counselors were less likely to die from COVID than others. Dr. Chimbanda travels the world as an expert on psychological interventions in improving mental health. And in every place he goes, he notices how many benches are often occupied by a single person, usually an older man or woman, just sitting there. And to him, he makes a point of talking to as many people as he can, not because he sees them as lonely, but they're lost opportunities. There's listening and wisdom and friendship to be shared. That episode has made me think of benches differently. Since I interviewed Dr. Chimbanda and landscape architect Claire Rishbeth for the park bench episode, I've been sitting on the bench outside my office in the hallway to chat with students rather than talk to them in chairs. I have the better chair in my office, of course. It's more comfortable, bigger, while students sit scrunched up in hard plastic ones. Students, it always seems to me, physically shrink when they're in my space. But on a bench, the power dynamic is gone. They tell me I gave them an unfair mark because I didn't construct the assignment properly, or I tell them failing one test isn't going to mean they're going to fail the whole course. I listen differently when I'm sitting on a bench, I've discovered, and I'm more willing to consider other perspectives. And sometimes, yeah, there have been awkward silences and issues aren't resolved, but there's something to be said, even unspoken, when two people share a space. Park benches are lonely places to sit if you wanted to reach out to others and no one was sitting beside you. But they help both the person wanting to talk and the person there to listen. The very design of park benches is meant to be shared by more than one person. Like Wilson, the volleyball in Castaways, park benches often played supporting characters in shows. In Afterlife, the Netflix series starring Ricky Gervais as a grieving widower, he finds hope in listening and sharing with others by sitting on a park bench. It was his way of being able to connect again after the death of his wife. They are bridges between the lonely and a place to park our loneliness. way animals behave also had something to say about loneliness and isolation. The interviews this past season that touched me the most were the ones about hermit crabs. I never had one as a pet, and like so many others, I never thought they were that interesting. 
But before I talked to Mary Akers and Carol Ann Orms, I thought hermit crabs couldn't possibly be as engaging or interesting as dogs. Anyone with dogs has felt that big heartbreak when we are confronted with their limited lifespan. We never get enough time with our dogs. And when I was interviewing Carol Ann Orms and Mary Akers and found out that hermit crabs can live for decades, my own dog, Georgia Barker, was nearing the end of her life. So take a moment right now and go give your dog or your cat a treat or a hug. I'll wait. In nature, hermit crabs don't live as long as those who are kept as pets. Nature's law of survival and competition for shells create a tough world for hermit crabs. But under the care of people, they can live a long time. No one knew hermit crabs could live that long and be companions for a human until Carol Ann Orms kept two hermit crabs as pets. Crab Kate died after 35 years, and Jonathan Livingston Crab was at least 45 years old. Their longevity made Orms and her hermit crabs famous. When Jonathan Livingston Crab died at the beginning of the pandemic, the hermit crab community put up a billboard to celebrate his life, and hundreds of people around the world wrote to Orms, telling her why a hermit crab mattered, especially to people and children who were isolating. To miss something that has been a part of your life for 40 years was a feeling that anyone could understand, Orms believes. But there are mysteries, too, that can unite us, like the baffling whereabouts and origins of Whale 52, known as the loneliest whale in the ocean. The whale sang at a frequency that no other animal has ever responded to. The whale is real, and humans have attached an anthropomorphic meaning to its song. Loneliness. An Alone Together listener asked this question, how do you know the whale is lonely? And then came back and asked that same question again when we had a later episode about the lone wolf. We don't know, but I don't think that's the point. The relationship we have with animals is that even from a distance, a far-off distance, as with lone wolves and deep in the oceans like Whale 52 or in dark jungles like the rare bird we wrote about called the black-browed babbler, there's something about the presence of animals that remind us that we are not alone. Some animals have survived on their own on the edge of extinction for years and decades and even centuries. Takea, the lone wolf, lived on his own on a desolate island on the west coast for eight years without any companionship of another living creature. Whale 52 sent out a call for 12 years without a single response, and the black-browed babbler, which hasn't been seen in 170 years, appeared briefly to astonish bird watchers in 2021. When animals are on their own, we feel sadness and loneliness for them. And perhaps it's a projection of our own feelings. I've never been alone in vast oceans or on a remote island or lost in the jungles of Indonesia. As we found out in those episodes, loneliness can feel like that. Animals howl and sing and call out in hopes of finding one other, even when they and we who can't respond are on our own. 
we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you're enjoying this episode, you may also like Feeling Less Lonely, Challenging Stereotypes About Loneliness, Season 1, Episode 25. You can find it in our archives, wherever you like to listen. Some of the loneliest people are the strongest, fastest, funniest, and the most famous, we give our hearts, and in the case of Brazilian soccer fans of the Club Recife, who donated eyes, lungs, livers, and kidneys to show their appreciation of the players to the athletes that inspire us. In return, we demand from them top performance and excellence. Athletes, snowboarder Mercedes Nico told us in an interview, know the fans and the spectators are there watching and waiting for them to start whether it's a 30-second sprint or a four-hour marathon. But for her and many other professionals she knows, they have to tune out everything around them in order to be focused and locked in mentally during their competitions. In watching the Olympics since the episode aired, I realized that loneliness is even further removed than I originally thought when I wrote the episode last fall. We see close-ups because of television, but in reality, we're observing from such a distance that the only connection we have is our expectations. We hope our favorite wins, or we hope their competitor fails. For athletes, it is lonely to not be able to exult in that moment of anticipation that fans have on the outside when athletes are ready to jump off and lift off, and sometimes when they crash and have to get up on their own, as Mercedes did, 
she felt most alone when she was isolated from her fellow team members, from the rush of competitions and the sport she had devoted much of her life pursuing following her injury in 2014 at the Sochi Games. Podiums are lonely places, as are boxing rings, pitching mounds, and a goalie crease. Another listener pointed out something she observed, which sparked another episode. Have you ever noticed that the loneliest characters in movies are often portrayed by comedians? It made us think, and we noticed it was a trend that went all the way back to the silent film era. Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin used deadpan expressions and funny walks and near misses on train tracks to tell their audience about the loneliness of their characters. In Charlie Chaplin's case, his upbringing led him on stage alone when he was still a child. He had to take over when his mother was too sick to continue her performance. There, on that stage by himself, he was instantly engulfed in acceptance and love by an audience when he made them laugh. He didn't mind that they were laughing at him and his loneliness and pain. It set the stage for a formula and a motto he lived by. If he could make people laugh from his suffering, it was worth it. But his laugh must never be the reason for somebody's pain. More recent films, notably Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, were about the deep loneliness and ultimately destructive pain of isolation by people who desired to make others laugh. That desire to become what people wanted from them, as we learned in our first episode of the season, drove many celebrities to fame and then ultimately to loneliness. Some of the loneliest people are the most famous. They lose the ability to trust others because everyone wants to be in their proximity to get the reflected glory of fame, and everybody wants something from them. But only the person who is in that spotlight understands what it's like. Celebrities serve a purpose in the lives of the rest of us, the unfamous and the unknowns. We glorify their successes, and we at times glorify their failures. Fame coach Dr. Donna Rockwell, who has counseled celebrities, told us the famous soon learn that when millions of eyeballs are on them, the toll is emotional, mental, and physical. They become acclimated to the eyeballs and the people around them. Even those closest to them who knew them before fame change as well and begin treating them differently. Former Tiger Beat editor Anne Moses, who interviewed teen pop idol David Cassidy before he became famous, noted that over the years he went from being open to closed off. The adoration of the women who followed him everywhere led to his isolation, and the fame that descended on David Cassidy made him the loneliest celebrity Anne Moses ever interviewed. We learned how celebrities crashed down to earth with one single act. Drew Barrymore was photographed picking up a coin on the street on April the 1st, 2002, and the phrase, celebrities, they're just like us, was coined. After that date, fame seemed reachable to the rest of us, and that led to a different kind of loneliness for people who longed to be celebrities, but found that goal unreachable.
One of the biggest insights we learned this season was how reading and fairy tales can lead us away from loneliness. The conventional wisdom was reading made those of us who were self-identified bookworms even more introverted and isolated. Devoted readers have often been portrayed as taking more comfort in books and fictional characters and unprepared to deal with real life and actual people. But as we found out, books, especially fiction, helps us connect to each other and we become more empathetic and understanding. That episode also led me to the interview that still makes me laugh whenever I think about it. During the interview with Paul Quinn, the director of the Chichester Center for Fairy Tales, Fantasy, and Speculative Fiction, at his home office, his children kept wandering in and out of the video as we were talking. He offered a lollipop to his daughter and to his son a biscuit and then picked up a crying baby as he was explaining how parents often sold their children off or sacrificed them to witches. At one point, he paused. I just realized what's happening. I'm like the old woman who lived in a shoe with so many children that I don't know what to do. I'm living a fairy tale, Professor Quinn said. Words and shapes were also universal, like loneliness, because of the feelings they invoked in us individually. That was inspiring to know. A single word like Sonder, developed by author John Koenig, gave voice to thousands of people. It is a feeling that is understood by many and could only be felt in glimmers of solitude. According to the definition Koenig came up with, Sonder is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Is it possible to give a name to something so internal an emotion like loneliness? Yes. The episode took some unexpected turns to arrive at. I had the idea for an episode about names months before when I was researching for topics, but I didn't have a news hook. In journalism, we need to have a reason why something is worth writing about. We look at elements like timeliness. Did something just happen or what's the impact? Does it affect more than one person? A regular event happening to one person means nothing. But when we can take a solitary experience that's unusual, extreme, and it has meaning for others, then there's a news hook. I learned about John Koenig and his book, The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrels, through an interview with Aditi Mali in Pune, India, who was a comic book artist. She had heard of the word sonder and realized she wasn't alone, and she hoped her drawings could help others. I asked her why there are so many clouds in her drawings, and she said her drawings had become her best friend because they gave her a way to give shape to her loneliness. She, like many others, at times during the severe lockdowns in India, underwent an existential crisis. She saw death around her and realized that hundreds and thousands of people were not going to live the life they wanted to live because of the pandemic. She was living in a place where she couldn't leave. And in Aditi's most loneliest time, she said the words out loud to herself. Shit, I'm lonely. There were things outside where she was, stars, planets, trees, and she thought about clouds. 
and for her, clouds made sense to draw as the shape of loneliness, because sometimes they stay up high above, and they're nice and distant and unreachable, but then they seem to come closer, and it rains again, raining, in her mind, loneliness down on everyone. If you're like me, where you live has, over the last two years, become a very familiar place. In isolation, our homes have become our offices, our classrooms, and our vacation spots. Over this last season, we looked at the loneliness of locations and places. We did an episode of how the move to rural settings was a popular theme in TV shows from Green Acres to Schitt's Creek to hometown cha-cha-cha. All these transitions showed the wholesomeness and the awkward isolation of newcomers to a small town or village where they had to learn new customs. It made me think of how we're redefining home and communities. Mayor Marv of Wilmar, Minnesota, told us that in his rural town, the residents thrived on the fact that they can get together, have a conversation, and be together through any adversity. But racial divides, political discourse, and the pandemic over the last few years led to a crisis of loneliness in his community that could only be countered by reforming and creating new connections. It's long-standing connections that allowed residents in the most isolated community in the world, Tristan da Cunha, to survive and thrive on their own. The island has only 247 inhabitants, but the impact of how they live and their outlook of fishing only what they need, baking cakes and bread to share with each other, and visiting each other has made a mark on those who visited or left. Jade Rupetto, who grew up on the island and now goes to university in the UK, learned after leaving Tristan da Cunha that there is isolation and there is loneliness and they're not always the same. The residents who were isolated from the rest of the world never felt lonely. But when Jade moved to the UK and went to London, she felt lonelier than she ever had before. Isolation doesn't make us lonely, and you don't need a home to have connections to a community. That was a lesson we learned from researchers like Olga Hananen from Finland, who studied why, in places where so many people had second homes, there were a growing number of digital nomads who choose to have no home at all. That had a particular connection to our audience who listened from dozens of different locations and sent us photos of where they were. We received pictures from listeners from a beach in Australia, a farm in Vietnam, a cozy cabin in the woods in front of a roaring fireplace, and our favorite photo from the flight deck of a plane. It was the distance from home that initially led many people in the 17th century to notice the phenomenon of nostalgia, a longing for a place. And cowbells, once seen as destructive to Swiss mercenary soldiers far from home who would die from remembering too much, can trigger other memories for those of us who remember the Saturday Night Live sketch. It is painful to remember, a twinge in the heart more powerful than memory alone. 
That's a line from Don Draper, as he used nostalgia to sell Kodak on advertising its carousel for photo slides. And it was photo negatives that led me to reconnecting with people I haven't spoken to in 30 years, when Corey Bond, who I went to journalism school with at the University of Regina, rediscovered photos and reached out to us in an email last summer. Time changes and shifts and can be a kindness or a source of pain for us humans. Looking back and what experts advised us in that episode, nostalgia can keep us from being lonely because when we remember, as Corey reminded us, the positives get stronger and any of the negative memories fade away. The human condition was another area we visited in different ways this past season, from sleeplessness to memory to smell to silence and our body temperature. Our emotions, our memories, our state of mind, our thermal regulations and our scent all had connections to our loneliness. When we're cold, we long to be with others. And we learned from experts like Hans Roca Eiserman, who wrote a book called Heartwarming, How Our Inner Temperatures Make Us Human, that our temperature has an impact. We want to have the warmth of another person. Our social interactions were often based on our need to warm up or cool down. We learn that the way we smell to ourselves and to others can also reveal a lot. Scent we learned from experts like Dr. Armpit. Researcher Chris Cowart often keeps us alone and isolated because we're concerned about how we smell to others. I think when I first mentioned doing an episode about loneliness and smell, the producer, Alison Pinches, wondered, really? When I first heard Peg's idea to do an episode about loneliness and smell, I really wasn't sure where she was going to go with this one. But it ended up being one of my favorite episodes. I often found myself referring back to it when I was telling people about the show and explaining the different lenses through which we look at loneliness. It was just such an intriguing and fascinating idea to wonder if loneliness had a smell. I had no idea before I began researching that there is a scent to loneliness. But the smell of places and thinking of those places triggered memories. There is a whiff to loneliness, we learned. The realization in that episode came from an awareness that went beyond how we smell. But it's our own fears about smells that stop us from wanting to be with others. You can smell loneliness. In another episode about sleeplessness, we learned that when we don't sleep, we don't want to interact with others and people don't want to connect to us. It became a cycle. The question we tried to answer was whether sleeplessness made us more lonely or was it the loneliness that came first? It can have a continuous effect on our desire to be close to others or even want to connect or stay on our own. Another way we learn that we stop ourselves from connecting is our understanding of silence. The conventional thinking may be that if we're alone too much with our own thoughts, the silence swirling inside us is destructive and negative. But what we heard was silence is needed because it helps us listen to our innermost thoughts and leads us to an understanding of who we are, sometimes in stressful situations, like when we're under attack physically or mentally, or we're feeling intense loneliness. 
when you research and write a show about loneliness, the question I get asked all the time by listeners and by friends and family is this one, not surprisingly. Are you lonely? The nostalgia episode led to many old friends and classmates and work colleagues reaching out and asking how I am. I hope you're not lonely, a person I did my first internship with at the Vancouver Sun wrote after hearing the show for the first time. It made me realize that I've never asked that question, not once in the 150 or so interviews we've done over the last two seasons. And I wondered, why is that? It's not a deliberate decision to not ask. And my conclusion is the curiosity comes from what people have to say about loneliness, rather than the confirmation or the denial of if they're lonely. Perhaps that's the biggest insight from the last 50 episodes. It's not about asking if someone is lonely. Everything I've learned in this journey is that we all are in different ways. It is that simple realization from you and is to we and are. We are living in lonely times, but the human conditions make us wonder, are we alone in our loneliness? And that answer is clear. Somewhere, someone else is taking off for the unknown, moving to small towns or hitting the road to start a new life. We can understand loneliness when we peer up into the sky or see celebrities doing ordinary things, when we laugh at comedians and still feel sad because we recognize their loneliness. And we may not be hermit crabs or whales in the ocean or rare birds or lone wolves, but the way animals behave tell us something about loneliness and isolation. There's solace in discovering we all need a shell, and we are all allowed to grow out of that shell, or we need to be apart from others like lone wolves. We can see it in clouds or in comics, read it in words, and feel loneliness in our silence, in remembering, and in those times when we can't sleep or want to talk to someone else sitting on a bench. Those are the lessons in loneliness that come from understanding the way we see ourselves and the world around us. We started off this episode about the question asked to every expert we've talked to over the last two seasons. What does this tell us about loneliness? And some of the answers that we've discovered together can help us understand loneliness, curiosity, kindness, connecting, and something we're all doing right now listening. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly, sound engineer Jeff Devine. Producers Allison Pinches and Guillermo Serrano. The theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. I'm the host and writer, Peg Fong. Thank you to this amazing team and to our listeners. Thank you for not leaving us alone and being curious with us this past season. Subscribe and download our episodes from Season 1 and Season 2, wherever you get your pods. Executive producer is Terry O'Reilly. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.